Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Omicron is still the dominant COVID-19 strain in the country, but lately we've been hearing about what's been dubbed the little sister of Omicron. So today we're asking, what do we know about subvariant BA.2? Hi, Angela. Welcome to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Angela, as a virologist, how much do you find yourself reassuring people who get really anxious about each new COVID variant or subvariant? All the time, really. Um, I think that, you know, some of the variants that have emerged have really been kind of duds. I remember about a month ago, there was the so-called Saskatchewan variant or a couple months ago, and it was really just a, a sublineage of Delta. But I think it's really confusing for people because there's so much different nomenclature, Uh, There's a bunch of different naming systems and, you know, how do you distinguish between a variant that's a dud and a variant that ends up being a huge disruptive problem that affects all of our lives? And the short answer to that, unfortunately, is when a variant first emerges, we don't actually know. Um, So I I spend a lot of my time talking this over with people, uh, both in my personal life, as well as uh, with colleagues like you um, who have large audiences and platforms to discuss it. Okay, we're going to begin our conversation in just a moment. But before we, we begin, can I ask you to give us a hi, my name is, and tell us what you do and where you do it? Absolutely. Hi, I'm Angela Rasmussen. I'm a virologist at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, or VITO, at the University of Saskatchewan. I'm also an adjunct professor uh, in the Department of Biochemistry, Microbiology, and Immunology at the University of Saskatchewan. And I'm a virologist who studies emerging viruses, including SARS coronavirus 2. Angela, what is this new subvariant? So BA2 is another lineage um, from the, the Omicron branch of the SARS coronavirus 2 evolutionary tree. Um, BA1 is the, the variant that we are all calling Omicron. BA2 is another variant um, that diverged from that variant evolutionarily um, and has been quietly spreading uh, as BA1 became the dominant uh, variant about a month, month and a half ago. Um, So there's also BA3, I hate to inform people, which appears to be sort of a combination of BA1 and BA2. Um, But effectively, it it is Omicron. Uh, It has some different mutations. Um, So it may actually have some different properties. And with some preliminary data, at least in Denmark and the UK anyways, it does look like it may be more transmissible than BA1, um, but but we do need to, to kind of wait and see about that because right now in Canada, overwhelmingly, almost all of the cases of Omicron are being caused by BA1. And as you've mentioned, there have been a lot of cases in, in Denmark, and we'll, we'll get into that in just a moment, but can, what can you tell us about how and why you know, this new subvariant came about? So we don't know how any of the Omicron uh, family of variants came about, actually. There's a couple different hypotheses. Um, One is that uh, this resulted from cryptic spread within a population that wasn't being genomically surveilled. 
I think that that is a less likely explanation simply because I'm not sure that there are populations that are that isolated that this variant could have evolved over such a long period of time because the the closest known relatives to the Omicron lineage uh, are viruses actually that were circulating in mid-2020. So somehow Omicron evolved from these viruses that were around in in mid-2020 really below the radar of what we call genomic surveillance. And that is really just sequencing viruses uh, from new cases of COVID-19. That's how we track the variants. Another hypothesis for how it originated is what we call spillback. That is when uh, SARS coronavirus 2 um, infecting humans actually spills back into an animal population and it can spread among them. And we've already seen this happen several times during the pandemic uh, with minks, uh, for example, in farms. We've seen it with uh, some exotic zoo animals and cats. Um, And we've also seen it with white-tailed deer actually here in North America in both the U.S. and Canada. So it's possible that Omicron uh, resulted from spillback and circulation in those animals and then spilled back over into the human population uh, some months later. And the third hypothesis, which I think a lot of people are are suggesting is the most likely, is that it evolved uh, due to persistent infection in an immunocompromised person. And the reason I think a lot of people are starting to think that's more likely is that there have been studies done in, in immunocompromised people who have been persistently infected, showing that they do acquire some of the same mutations that we're seeing in Omicron. And they can do so over a period of months, um, really acquire a lot of these mutations. So that's what we know about Omicron. That's what we've hypothesized. But we don't actually know which one of those scenarios is true. Whichever one of those scenarios is true, that is where both BA1 and BA2 came from. What's not clear, though, is at what point BA1 and BA2 diverged from one another. So at what point did they go off onto their own evolutionary trajectories? All we know is that BA1 was at least seeded in the human population first, uh, and now we're starting to see BA2 kind of catch up because, again, it, it may be that it is actually even more transmissible than BA1 which is uh, already clearly quite transmissible. I think a lot of people would want to know to what extent we can blame bad human behavior for a subvariant like BA.2 uh, developing. You know, I think that this is a really interesting question because one of the, the very human responses I think that we have to something that has so profoundly disrupted all of our lives is to find an easy explanation or something to blame um, and I would say that probably the the human behavior that that is most to blame is not what you necessarily will think it is. It's it's policies that have allowed the virus to continue transmitting within the human population. That is why we are continuing to get new variants. Not enough people are vaccinated. Not enough people have access to vaccines globally. Uh, and there are not enough policies in place to really control transmission and keep it down overall. Variants we know are going to emerge uh, anytime you have a viral infection. Every time a virus is replicating, it begins to acquire mutations. So when you have uncontrolled transmission, especially in a lot of unvaccinated people, uh, you will definitely get new variants emerging from that, unfortunately. And so the human behavior we really need to blame isn't so much individual human behavior. It's more policy level behavior, the policies that have enabled uh, the enough of the human population to be unprotected 
um, that the virus is going to be transmitted easily within the human population. And we are going to see, unfortunately, new variants emerge. I have heard that this subvariant has been called the stealth variant. And I was wondering, you know, why it got that name. Oh, boy. So I, I really hate this name for this because um, it implies that this is somehow sneaky or, uh, you know, is is like a special forces variant or something. The only reason that people have started calling it the stealth variant is that some PCR assays that could distinguish Omicron from Delta uh, for BA1 can't distinguish BA2 from Delta. Um, so either way, the PCR test is going to detect SARS coronavirus 2, um, but there's not something called S gene target failure, uh, which can be used to distinguish Omicron from Delta. So the only the only reason it's being called the stealth variant is that it's just not clear when you get a PCR test if you're infected with Omicron or Delta or some other variant that doesn't have this SGTF feature. Um, but they can easily be distinguished from sequencing data. And either way, the test isn't missing it entirely. It, it can say that you definitely have SARS coronavirus too. It just can't say that hey, this is BA2 uh, as opposed to, to Delta or some other variant. So you're saying that really the only way we can detect BA2 in this country right now would be through, or any other country for that matter, would be through genomic testing, actually testing the sequence. So not really. So you can still detect it with PCR. You just can't tell if it's Omicron or Delta. Um, and that's what you need the sequencing for. So I don't I don't really like the term stealth variant because it implies that the test can't detect it at all, which is not true. It's just that the test can't distinguish whether it's BA2 or Delta or some other variant as opposed to BA1, which did have this feature called S gene target failure. Um, and you could distinguish BA1 from Delta using a PCR test alone. So how then, like, you know, for instance, in Denmark, they know that BA2 became the dominant strain of COVID. How would we know that in Canada? Well, certainly Denmark discovered that because they do an awful lot of genomic sequencing. I think they sequence uh, almost 100% of cases that are identified there. So with sequencing, again, you can easily distinguish BA1 from BA2 from any other variant. Same within the UK. The UK has excellent genomic surveillance. Um, they sequence at least 10% of all the different cases they have there so they can quickly detect uh, new variants that have emerged based on that genomic surveillance. In Canada, we do have genomic surveillance and it is improving um, as it is in, in the US and many other countries around the world. Uh, one thing that has become clear is that many countries, genomic surveillance is somewhat piecemeal, meaning that it happens more in some places than others because they already have the infrastructure um, they have the instrumentation, they have the expertise to do that genomic surveillance. So in Canada, it's it's kind of like that. Um, certainly, genomic surveillance capacity has improved, but it's going to vary from, from region to region, from province to province and territory to territory. But that is how Canada will detect and has detected BA2 emerging in the Canadian population is through those genomic surveillance efforts. And in fact, that's how we know that there are at least, you know, I think at last count, it was hundred and 30-ish uh, cases of BA2 in Canada. Um, and that number will change, of course, as we get new genomic surveillance data in. And Dr. Teresa Tam said that it's been detected in Canada, as you have. 
Um, but in Denmark, it has become the dominant uh, strain of uh, COVID. So I want to know, how infectious is it? That really is the million-dollar question. And beyond that, I think the the important question is, can people who just had BA1, of which there are many in Canada, or people who've been vaccinated, are they more likely to get BA2? Um, and I, I don't think we can answer that right now. And this is a little trickier to, to try to, to say this is happening in Denmark, so it's definitely going to happen here. We have different vaccines that have been used here in different vaccine regimens. We have different rates of vaccination, uh, different demographics and different um, capabilities for detecting new cases of SARS coronavirus, too. So what's happened in Denmark may not necessarily happen here in Canada. Uh, and again, this is why genomic surveillance is so important, why we, we do need to just wait and see. It may be that that as in Denmark, um, the the large surge that happened with BA1 and actually maybe happening in South Africa now, too, that that surge went up very quickly, um, but is taking a little longer to go down. And that's possibly because a lot of the people who either didn't get BA1 or had BA1 um, are now getting BA2. And that is really prolonging uh, this this surge in cases. But I want to be very clear about something. There's no indication that BA2 is necessarily more pathogenic. Um, so it's not necessarily going to cause a, a huge problem in terms of hospitalization or severe disease compared to BA1. As usual, uh, the people who are going to be most at risk of that are people who are either immunocompromised, medically vulnerable, and especially those who have not yet been vaccinated. How infectious is it compared to uh, BA1? Well, that also we don't know, unfortunately, because really the data that we have from Denmark is not virology data that would necessarily tell us if it's more infectious, meaning it's better at, at actually infecting and getting into cells. Um, we're, we're really looking at epidemiologic data um, and genomic surveillance data and inferring based on the increasing proportion of BA2 cases that it's more transmissible than BA1 because it's outcompeting it. Uh, we will need some time to actually do those studies uh, to really put BA1 and BA2 in head-to-head -head competition in an experiment in the lab uh, before we can say for sure that it's more infectious uh, rather than just more transmissible by an unknown mechanism. Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. You've already started to talk about how dangerous BA2 is, and it doesn't sound like it's all that dangerous. Am I right? Well, I, I don't think I would say that. I think it really does depend on whether or not you've been vaccinated. Um, so certainly people who have had a vaccine, and especially people who've had a booster, just as with BA1, um, are going to be less susceptible to being infected in the first place. And we do have quite a bit of data now for BA1 anyways, that when a person who is vaccinated has a breakthrough infection with Omicron, uh, they're less likely to develop severe disease. They're at much lower risk of hospitalization and certainly a much lower risk of death. 
from infection. Overwhelmingly, again, we're seeing people ending up in the ICU um, who are unvaccinated and who probably have no prior exposure to COVID. What we really don't know is the, the reliability of protection that comes from prior infection. Um, certainly, it does seem that prior infection, uh, expectedly, does confer some measure of protection, but we really don't know how it's going to be at population scale with BA1 or BA2. I'm somewhat convinced now that BA1 anyways was inherently less pathogenic because it doesn't appear to infect the lower respiratory tract, the lungs, as easily as Delta, for example. But I don't think we can say that yet about BA2 because we haven't done those experiments. But certainly, I do think we can probably make the assumption that in people who've been fully vaccinated, and especially, again, those who've been boosted, uh, will be at a much lower risk for severe disease and hospitalization than people who've not been vaccinated yet. Can you estimate a timeline when we will have uh, more answers to, to some of the questions that you've posed? Well, you know, with BA1, we, we did start to answer some of those questions within weeks of Omicron's emergence. And I know that people, including colleagues here in Canada, are working on BA2. So as soon as people uh, actually get an isolate of BA2 and grow it up in the lab, then they can start doing some of those experiments that would allow us to determine that. So we're really talking a time scale of weeks uh, or maybe a couple months and not a time scale of years to, to find the answer to these questions. But we're also not talking about a time scale of days, as in we're going we're gonna to have all the answers to this tomorrow. Many parts of Canada are beginning to open up as we pass the peak of Omicron and, and we've started to actually see a decrease in the number of admissions to hospital and admissions to the intensive care unit. With BA2, should there be a change in public health advice, do you think? Well, I mean, you know, I'm really torn on this because a number of countries have, uh, including Denmark, actually, have decided to, to lift a lot of these measures, really trying to balance, um, you know, getting back to normal life, the economic needs, and really, frankly, just people's needs. I mean, we're all sick of this pandemic. It sucks, frankly, to, <laughs> to have to constantly adjust how we're behaving and living um, based on, you know, these constantly emerging new variants. But I do think that that there may be, you know, reason to be cautious, at least for a couple weeks, um, and not rush into lifting these restrictions when we do have an unknown variant that can clearly infect vaccinated people and may even be able to infect people who just were infected with original recipe Omicron BA1. I think that that it is a good idea to be somewhat prudent given that we don't really know what the effect might be. And here in Saskatchewan, I'm not convinced that we're over the BA1 peak. Um, we've seen huge spikes in wastewater samples, um, which are indicative that, that we may have a number of cases coming. Our healthcare system has been stretched to its limits over the last couple of years. So I do think that while it is important and nobody wants to get back to normal more than me, um, and many of my colleagues, we're all very, very tired of this. Uh, it might make sense to, to just hold off on relaxing these restrictions completely while we still see upward case trajectories in many places. And, and finally, you know, we know that some people are getting anxious with the announcement of each new variant or subvariant. I want to turn it around. Why is it important to stay on top of each new variant? 
Yeah, so this is a great question because I think that a lot of people sort of ping pong between uh, COVID's not a problem at all, the pandemic is over, to, oh my God, you know, zero COVID, we have to live like this indefinitely. And I think neither of those things are true. Um, but I do think, you know, we shouldn't dismiss anything out of hand, especially if we don't know about it and it does have the potential to disrupt our lives even further. And especially if it has the potential to infect and kill a lot of people. Um, I think that we do need to have a healthy amount of respect for the fact that this virus uh, is relatively recent, even though it feels like we've been living in pandemic world for a lot longer than two years. Um, at the same time, though, I, I think that it's really unreasonable to ask anyone to, to keep this up indefinitely. And there is a point where we will have to learn to, to live with this virus. And that is really when the virus becomes endemic. Um, and there are different definitions for endemicity, but generally what it means is that the virus is uh, spreading within the population. You haven't eliminated it, but it's occurring at a rate that's predictable. Um, and I think that until we get to the point where spread of this virus is predictable and we have a lot of people who are vaccinated and protected, we're not going to see big surges and huge demand on the healthcare system then you know we can't completely move on just yet. At the same time, we do need to be thinking about what metrics we'll be using to, to judge when it is going to be safe to, to relax a lot of these restrictions. And fortunately, Canada um, is doing quite well in terms of vaccinating people. We need to continue to, to get that up. Once we have that, we need to focus on making sure that people elsewhere in the world can also have the same access to vaccines because that truly is what is going to, to drive this pandemic into the endemic phase uh, globally. A pandemic is by definition a global public health crisis. So we really need to be thinking about the end of this as the global end of this and not just the national one. Dr. Angela Rasmussen, thank you so much for speaking with me. It's my pleasure, Brian, anytime. That's Angela Rasmussen, a virologist at the University of Saskatchewan's Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, or VEDA. Here's your dose of smart advice. BA2 is a subvariant of Omicron. Cases have been reported in Canada, but we don't know precisely how many because we don't do a lot of genomic testing that distinguishes BA2 from the original form of Omicron. There are lots of things we don't yet know about BA2. Doctors think it's more transmissible than the original Omicron because it became the dominant strain of COVID in Denmark in a very short time. It's possible that some people in Denmark got infected with BA2 even after being infected with the original Omicron. The good news is that BA2 infections likely won't land you in hospital or the ICU, provided you've had two and preferably three doses of a COVID vaccine. We'll have more answers to some of the questions we've posed in a matter of weeks. In the meantime, it's important to remain cautious about relaxing public health measures too quickly. You may not want to hear that, but as we've learned, it's better to be safe than sorry. And all of us will be a lot safer when we have high rates of vaccination right across the globe. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions you'd like answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Laura Antonelli. 
Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.